0: We've been taught that shame is an unhealthy thing, something that erodes our self-esteem. But there is a good sense of shame. It is an odd expression that you think highly enough of yourself that you want yourself to be morally better. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using our work to advance personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans 6:21, we're told that one of the faculties that comes to life in a believer is a proper sense of shame for the sins of our past. It is a sense that dies a slow death in a person who doesn't have a relationship with God, but one that springs to life. In the one who walks before him. That's the state of where we found ourselves in our slavery to sin. Our own consciences were seared, and our sense of true shame was weak and absent altogether. But when the Spirit of God broke in upon us, he woke us up, and we saw our sins, and we confessed them for what they were, and we found a Savior who delivered us from those sins, and who set us free from the very things that we should have been ashamed of. And so Paul, speaking to the believer, says, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed? And so, again, it's clear here that Paul has turned his full focus to talk to the born-again believer. And let me just say this. Only those persons who have been transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ can feel the true depth of shame found in passage. We feel I never knew what sin was until God awoke me to my sins and redeemed me and saved me and poured in His clean, pure life in the vital life of the Lord Jesus. And that life stood in contrast, indelible contrast, to all the selfishness and sin and pride of my own life. And whenever it came upon me, whenever the impulses of those old ways came upon me, I began to see and the Spirit woke within me a sense of their shamefulness." Their shamefulness. Now, that doesn't mean that the Christian lives under the stain of the past. Our past sins and our sinful attitudes no longer bring us under condemnation. And they have no ground of making an accusation against us because the Lord Jesus has bore their punishment and their guilt. He's washed us clean. We're free from the voice of that condemnation. But a sign of repentance and true faith is that you no longer take pleasure in the memory of sins you once took pleasure in. You no longer take pleasure in the memory of those things now that you see were shameful. I just want you to note that the whole of a person's life before coming to Christ, although there are good things and there are wonderful things and there are things that they can look back upon with fondness, The sum total of the life is something that has shame upon it. Before they came to repentance and faith, it has something that has shame upon it. There are, of course, those sinful actions they engaged on that they weren't sensitive to, but now they look upon and see they were shameful. But there also was within their life a sense of self accomplishment and self-righteousness that they held within themselves that once they come and see that they were all in righteousness and all of the righteousness was like filthy rags and Christ alone is righteousness and all of his righteousness is all that makes us right before God they're ashamed that they ever boasted in those other things and exalted themselves in the works and the engagement of their morality of their abilities or rising up up and towering over other individuals that are ashamed of those things and at the same time. They're also ashamed and they think of all the good things God did for them and all the blessings God poured upon them. And that in all of that, they didn't return to God the return of gratitude, of yielded, repentant gratitude. The Bible says the goodness of God is meant to lead people to repentance, to turn to themselves, to him. And now they look back at all those good things that God did and all the ways God blessed them. And they say in all that they never were truly grateful because they never returned to him in the midst of those things. They just turned into themselves. I must be a good person because God's blessing me. And when they come to God, and they believe in him and they see what sinful creatures they were without him. They're ashamed at even to some extent the memory of those good things because it didn't produce the surrender that it should have been. Then there's the fruit of a life independent of God that was accumulating, was driving them into judgment and death and Things that they freely did without consciousness of their selfishness and the harmfulness and the uncleanness that shames them. They should, if the Spirit of God has changed them and transformed them and brought them to life, we should, in retrospect, look upon those things and think how, how shameful it is, how shameful it is. What a shameful thing. These are the things that were driving me into hell, into eternal destruction. Even these good things that I ignored where I ignored the goodness of God and didn't return a surrendered gratitude to him. Some years ago, my children were following an individual, a pastor who was quite successful. They gathered their interest and gathered the interest of a lot of teens, and they would come back and talk to him about things he was saying and they were teaching. And One of the things they noted was that he liked to regale the audience with funny stories of the sinful follies that he had once lived in for before being saved. He liked to talk about the times and the crazy things he did when he was stoned or when he was drunk. This was a regular part of the recounting of how he delivered his messages to those that were gathered. I warned them in regard to that. Somehow it doesn't seem right that you should, in a sense, delight in regaling people of the stories of your fallen past and to go into those things and to gather a snicker from them. These are the very things that brought him under judgment. These are the very things Christ suffered on the cross and endured for these were the things that were leading him into eternal death and ruin. And now, this individual, sometime after that, was found out that he was continued to live in sin. And people didn't know it, and he lost his ministry, and he had to step away from the pastor altogether. And now that's anecdotal. I mean, like that's not evidence that what he was doing was wrong. The evidence is this: these are the things Paul says of which you are now ashamed. And a vigorous salvation where we receive the regenerating work of Jesus Christ doesn't give us liberty to rejoice in the sins of the past. makes those things shameful to us. Our delight is in Him alone and the one who saved us and delivered us. It's a good sign that you are ashamed of what you were and you're glad to be free from that bondage. That your delight now is in what is right and what is good and what is pure and what is peaceable and in the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. That's a good sign. Let's look at verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Instead of meditating upon those things and drawing back upon those things that you are ashamed of now, instead what you have is a, a projection of what God is doing in your life and what He's producing in your life that's creating greater and greater holiness. And you see He's leading you out into a future of everlasting glory and eternal life. you <laughs> glory in those things. Not what I was. That's shameful. But what he's making of me, now he's working in me, now he's changing me. And so my glory and my exaltation is in the fruit that the Spirit of God is producing in me of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And as I see those things, I rejoice. And you know what? When I see the fruit of my past life working themselves in my life, I'm ashamed of them. They remind me of shameful things. Oh God, not that. This, I yield myself to you again, O God, produce in me these things. I yield myself to obedience to you in these things that lead unto everlasting eternal life. That's the fruit that this bondage to righteousness produces in us. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit pouring out upon us the life of Jesus Christ and expanding and growing until that time when we shall see him as he is and we'll be like him and we'll reign with him forever and ever. That's the delight and joy of the believer. Not some titillating sense of satisfaction or snicker of the past. Shameful things. Return from those things. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we've talked about the future of these two bondages, the freedoms that these two bondages offer us, the fruits that these two bondages offer us in order to just follow our alliteration here. We might hear talk about the spiritual finances behind these two slaveries. The wages of sin is death. Paul in this passage has in mind, he uses a phrase that refers to the kinds of change that were given to Roman soldiers to to, uh, a little bit of conscript money they gave, but in this passage, because Paul's talking about slavery, he's talking about the pocket change that a Roman owner might place into a slave's pocket as some reward for services that he's rendering to him. The Roman owner appears to be generous because the slave has seemingly earned it, but the slave is still in bondage. And his bondage is leading him into death. It makes him a little bit happy, but he's still a slave and he's still living in sin. He's still, you see, still in the same place. What the passage here is telling us is that the only thing that you can earn, and the only thing that you work for, and the only thing you can produce by your own labors is death. It's just death. We share this with individuals who think they can earn their own righteousness or save themselves by their own good works. We have them read this passage and say, here's the one thing that God says that you can work for and earn from God. By the way, you've already earned it. Because in a conversation we'd have with an individual, one of the questions we ask them is, do you believe that you're a sinner? Another question we ask them is, how do you know you're a sinner? What do you do that convicts of you of sin? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you things. And then you'll say, well, let's go back to this passage. It says the wages of sin. And by the way, it's, it's the wages of us sin. What you earn by one sin is death. If you want to work for something, this is the one thing you can earn from God is death. And it's brought upon you because of your bondage and slavery to sin and your failure to be able to produce the righteous that God requires. you share with them what death means. Death always in the Bible means separation. And this tells you that sin spiritually separates you from God. That sin is bringing upon you a physical death in which your body and your soul will be separated and your soul will be cast apart away from God forever. And that's eternal death. That's a third death. You'll be separated forever and ever. And that's what you earn with your sins. That's what's coming towards you. That's the end result of this slavery that you're under. But there's a free gift that God wants to give you. A free gift that God wants to give you. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. He's gained it all for you and He freely lays it before you and it comes to you when you reach out to it and receive it with an empty hand. That's repentance. Repentance empties at hands of everything else. You empty your hand of your sin, you forsake all those things, you empty your hands of your self-righteousness, you reach out with an empty hand and you take the free gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ. And you can have that today. It's yours. It'll wash you and it'll cleanse you and it'll set you free from your sin. But... Be careful here, because when you come to him that way, and you receive him, and you take hold of him that way, well, you'll be bound to him as a slave. He'll be lord of all. He'll be master. He'll take hold of you, he'll deliver you, but you'll be his forever and ever. This passage began in Romans chapter 6 with Paul reminding us of what God had done for us when he regenerated us. He put to death the old man, and he gave us new life. When we came to Christ and believed in him, we were regenerate. We were made new people, and Paul then again renews and against the argument of why the Christian goes on to live a holy life. And the reason is, not only has he created us as new people, but he also renews and adds this point. Not only have we been made righteous and had his righteousness poured into us by this regenerative work, but also when we came to him and we received his gift, we became slaves of his righteousness. That faith, holding on to him, Binds ourselves to him in such a way that we are free from sin. But we're bound to righteousness. That's what we need. That's what we want to take hold of. A Christian, by the way, lives their life wanting only that. I want to be claimed and held forever in your righteousness, and I'm going to be right with you. And I want to be right in myself. God, I forsake anything. Anything that draws and pulls me away from that, if it causes me pain or suffering or difficulty or hardship, so be it. So be it. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.